Big stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays, 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. So this uh, opioid crisis isn't going away anytime soon. And this is the kind of thing that I think, you know, we need to put all preconceived notions aside. We need to put ideology aside. And we need to say, what can we do to tackle this? Now, it's an issue we're confronting here in Canada. It's an issue they're confronting south of the border as well. But it's not uniquely a Canadian problem. But, I mean, the question is, so what do we need to do? What should be on the table? What shouldn't be on the table? Now, there's a couple of issues that are going to overlap here because late last week we had uh, UCP leader Jason Kenney uh, put out a statement with regard to the opioid crisis and what he felt needed to be done, what he felt our priorities ought to be. But he is pretty clear that what he believes should not be a part of our response, should not be a priority, is harm reduction, to helping to save the lives of addicts so that we can get them the help that they need. I mean, the reason why this is a crisis is because so many people are dying. It seems really strange to me that we would take an option that can help save lives and just take it off the table, despite what the evidence may be telling us. Now, this is interesting, too, because we got uh, new guidelines published in the Canadian Medical Association Journal today uh, that suggest opioid addiction can and should be treated with prescription drugs. Now, it seems like an interesting approach, I think, especially given that in some ways prescribing opioids is what has helped fuel this crisis in the first place. But the guidelines recommend that suboxone be used as a first-line treatment whenever possible to reduce the risk of toxicity and death. Now, the drug is often used as a replacement for opioids to prevent severe withdrawal symptoms, but has much safer side effects than methadone, which is typically prescribed for opioid addiction. So how can this be a part of the uh, the solution? Joining us uh, for some thoughts, very pleased to welcome to the program uh, addiction expert Dr. Hakik Varani, who's uh, with Public Health and Preventative Medicine, also uh, Addiction Medicine at the University of Alberta. Professor Varani, welcome to the program. Hello, Rob. Uh, thanks for joining us once again. So first of all, let's talk about what was published in the CMAJ this week. Uh, the, the idea of prescribing uh, drugs to addicts, I guess that, that's not a new concept, is it? Oh, goodness, no. I mean, in terms of um, the gold standards of treatment for opioid use disorder or opioid addiction, um, treating this condition with um, medication therapy and structured programs has been the mainstay. Um, This is what we've been doing for decades, and it's just the first time that we now have a national guideline describing how we ought to do it with a variety of medications. And so what do you make of these guidelines as, as they've been published? Oh, it's the best guideline I've ever seen um, in terms of the treatment of opioid use disorder. Um, you know, I've seen uh, guidelines from other parts of the world. I think Canada now um, has the best one that exists. And it's strong for a few reasons. Um, one of them is that it makes it more possible for doctors in primary care contexts where we see a lot of uh, opioid use disorder that may be just unrecognized or ignored. Uh, it gives them a, a toolbox here to to look to, to to treat the condition as we should all chronic conditions that are causing uh, health and life impacts on patients. And I think the other strength here is that, it, as I said, it looks at um, more than one or two medications and looks at all the medications that have evidence of reducing mortality from opioid addiction, um, improving social productivity, um, reducing the contact with health and social sectors for other services that can be costly, um, and reducing uh, dysfunction 
Um, these are patients who would love to get back to life with their families, um, reduce the impact of contacts with law enforcement and criminal justice system if their if their addiction has progressed. Um, you know, so these these are quite literally life saving therapies and have a huge impact or huge benefit to public health and to uh, families and communities. So I recommends uh, what's known as Suboxone as as an approach here so what's what's the effectiveness of of this kind of a response how does it make a difference then well so this is a a medication that we've been using in canada for about the last 10 years or so um, that as he said uh, has a has a better safety profile than the other medications that are used to treat opioid use disorder in that it's what we call a partial opioid drug so it allows us to um, help a patient curb their intrusive cravings for opioid drugs and removes the excruciating withdrawals that they feel when they don't have those um, substances um, without the um, full activation uh, that's caused by other full opioids and that it doesn't carry with it the same risk of respiratory depression or your breathing stopping um, as, as what could happen with the administration of too much full opioid. Um, so that that allows us some flexibility with this medication in terms of how quickly we can stabilize a patient on medication therapy, but also in terms of you know the risks of of diversion of those medications if a patient takes them home with them like they would the, any other chronic medication, um, so that they can administer it themselves and carry on with their with their life as as they would like. Right, but I mean it's it's still an opioid. Right. Sure. Sure so, it is. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and, you know, with, um, with the changes that we see in the human brain in a patient who has an opioid use disorder, um, it, 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 uh, it is expected that this condition be persistent. In fact, for most patients, uh, many of the changes that you see um, are lifelong. And it manifests itself clinically in terms of the likelihood of relapse if we don't maintain a stable um, uh, therapy for for many many patients. It's it's the reason why um, the guideline is very clear that approaches that involve abstinence based um, detoxification um, are not favored. In that, so if we were to send a patient, which we have for you know decades, um, to uh, to detox, where we treat their symptoms of opioid withdrawal with other medications. Um, and then, you know, engage the patient in some other abstinence-based recovery work and then um, leave, them, uh, leave them to leave into the community and, and hope that they don't relapse again. Um, the vast majority of patients will relapse. And the, the tragedy of that is that as expected as it is, um, the likelihood of, of mortality is extremely high, in fact, higher if the patient went through uh, a period of detox than if they had done nothing at all. So the reason that we treat with medications is because, A, it's a chronic condition, but, B, if we don't treat with medications, the risk of the patient dying from opioid use is remarkably high. So with Suboxone, uh, there's much, much lower risk of, of overdose, and it's not the kind of drug that could easily be crushed or injected or anything like that, from what I understand. Yeah, so, so the reason why, um, uh, why Suboxone or the generic buprenorphine naloxone is, is a useful product for us in clinical medicine is that you know, if somebody were to, um, uh, were to get their hands on Suboxone in a way that was not prescribed and try and um, inject it or crush it and snort it, um, it A, wouldn't ha- carry with it the same risk of, uh, of a fatal or non-fatal overdose, 
and B, in a patient who um, is opioid tolerant and using other opioids, if they were to administer the combination product, buprenorphine and naloxone, um, they would have very much the same effect as if they were to administer naloxone, which, as you know, is the antidote for opioid overdose and would cause an opioid withdrawal. So in that way, patients don't usually seek out buprenorphine naloxone as a drug to abuse. But for me, the, the most important thing about this medication, as with the other medications that we use to treat uh, the condition is that patients involved in these programs, these medication-assisted therapy programs, um, have a much, much lower risk of dying from opioid use disorder and a much, much greater upside in terms of their engagement in other kind of psychosocial activities. Yeah, well, that's encouraging. Now, and I guess, you know, the big step now, and, you know, the authors of this guideline touch on it, you've certainly spoken about it, treating this uh, like a medical condition, treating this like a chronic disease and, and having this dealt with in doctor's offices. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so, so you know, it's, um, it's really great to have a guideline, um, but the, this, this booklet or piece of paper isn't going isn't gonna to save lives. We, we actually have to execute on this guideline and access to treatment needs to be widespread. And that's where we're really struggling. Um, in terms of access to treatment, we're not treating this as though it's an emergency. We have tens of thousands of people in our province alone who should benefit from this type of treatment and aren't getting it. Um, And part of that has to do with we're not providing enough of it. But another part of it is that the stigma associated with disclosing that you have, um, you're having trouble with um, substances um, is so pervasive. You know, you could... You could imagine how difficult it is to go to a physician and say that you're smoking. And most people will underreport how much they're smoking because it's quite embarrassing to talk to your doctor who, you know, you know what they're going to tell you about, about cigarette smoking. Well, imagine if cigarettes were criminal. Um, how, how easy would it be to go to a physician and say, hey, I'm, um, I, I'm participating in this health behavior that by definition makes me a criminal? Um, of course, there's stigma attached to that. Uh, part of part of having a guideline that physicians can uh, can use to understand the chronicity of this condition and understand the benefits of medication treatment might help to reduce the stigma in um, a healthcare context. But really, decreasing the stigma um, across our our population will require us to deal with a fundamental problem with drug policy in this country. Yeah, and I mean, we, we saw evidence uh, last week of how we're, we're a long way from that and, and the, the comments from Jason Kenney about taking harm reduction out of the equation. Uh, what, what was your reaction to that? Um, well, much as you'd expect. I mean, I think it's problematic when we're, um, when we're dealing with a public health emergency um, for folks with messages that are completely contrary to the public health evidence, trying to advance that. Um, in a policy agenda, like it, it's it's um, even the Supreme Court, when when Mr. Kenny was uh, part of the federal government, ruled against um, his government's attempts to uh, to close down Insight, the supervised injection site in uh, in Vancouver, um, on the basis of a violation of uh, the Charter and Rights of Rights and Freedoms. Um, the fact that there's any question around this, um, uh, around harm reduction, has a lot to do with the fact that the people who use harm reduction services um, are using substances that we have decided um, are criminal to possess, even for personal use. Um, and that's a, that's a significant problem. And until we deal with that problem, 
we can throw all the money and all the guidelines and all the public awareness and education that we want at this um, at this epidemic, and it's unfortunately uh, all of those efforts will be stymied by um, by drug policy that's uh, that's so harmful. Yeah, that's unfortunate. Uh, we'll leave it there, Dr. Varandi. Always appreciate the insight on all of this. Thanks for joining us here today. Always good to talk to you, Rob. Much appreciated. Uh, Dr. Hakeek Varani, the University of Alberta Department of Medicine, Public Health and Preventative Medicine, also Addiction Medicine. Uh, so talking about this guideline and how that can make a difference, right? To, to look at this almost like diabetes or hypertension, that this can be treated if it's viewed as a chronic disease. And if you want to make the argument, well, maybe these people are responsible for the position they're in. I mean, you could turn that back around on, on people with diabetes or hypertension in some cases. It's not about blaming the patient. But how do you deal with the situation? And if the argument is, well, hey, it's your fault, you're on your own. Well, then where, where, where does that end? Are we going to let people die and they come into the emergency room? Oh, you're overdosing? Well, too bad for you. So obviously, I mean, saving lives has to be a part of this crisis. Otherwise, if we don't care, then let's just shut it all down. 974-8255 is the number. We're back with more right after this. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.